Dave Anderson served in Labour governments under Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and remained as an MP until 2017. In 2016, a section of the Parliamentary Labour Party moved against Jeremy Corbyn. Dave showed his loyalty to the Labour Party, Labour members and the trade union movement by sticking by Jeremy Corbyn, stepping up into a shadow cabinet role. Dave discusses this and many other issues in our latest podcast. Hello there, welcome to Socialist Think Tank. Uh, we are really lucky to have with us today Dave Anderson, the former MP for Bladen. Hello Dave. Hello Paul, how are you doing? I'm absolutely fine, thanks. How are you? I'm chopping, man. Chopping. Excellent. So I'm going to just go straight into it now and I'm going to ask you the question that we ask all our guests. Um, what is socialism to you? Because it's real life. Um, I, I was never, like, how can I put it? As a kid, I was never, like, involved in politics. My dad had been a, a trade union rep years and years before. My brother was involved a little bit in the anti-Vietnam stuff, but it sort of just passed me by. Uh, but I went to Pitt when I was 15 in 1969, and just instantly it was like, um, if you go to Pitt, you join the union, if you're in the union, you support Labour. Um, and it was just basically, we learnt the lesson of the past from people who've gone through, you know, all the rubbish of the 30s and 40s, come up the, the war and said, we're not having this and we can change it. And I mean, I worked in the industry when it was, it was good times. Um, we stuck together. We had uh, a number of strikes in the early 70s. We, we had big increases in our living standards and also they meant we could have you know, better lives at home. Um, I live in a Corrie House, which provided like through, through the union and through the coal board. Um, and it was, it was about community. It was about everybody looking after each other, taking care of each other. It wasn't like, um, I never probably even thought of being socialism. It was just, it was just there. It was what we did. Um, and I think really, it's only until somebody tries and takes all that away from you that you really realise how important it is. And that clearly happened with us. Uh, with a strike in 1984-85 that like um, for no obvious economic reason but for purely political reasons a woman come along and decided she wanted to like, destroy the way we lived and she was successful in that sadly and uh, people say to me who's your political inspiration I tell them all oh, it's Margaret Thatcher because everything I've done since then has been every day I was going to work every day I, I was getting involved with Represent people in the union or doing stuff in Parliament, it was given a bad back there for what she did to us. And when I say us, I mean all of us. Um, I lost a job that I was really keen on doing. I loved doing it. I live in a nice place. I work with great people. But the job was almost insignificant compared to what happened. Our community absolutely fell apart. Um, we got drugs coming to the village. Kids running riot. Kids, I, I got burgled by one of my best friend's sons, and that kid would have been working with me under normal circumstances, being an apprentice underneath me or underneath his dad or somebody else. But he was like, he had, he had nowhere to go. You know, like two years after strike finish, there was a kid who was 15, 16 year old with no future. And so, you know, um, it just strengthened within me um, that getting involved and um, doing the right thing to try and get as many people as possible to feel the way we did and, and appreciate the fact that um, socialism had given us a better life. You know, I mean, people, I always say this to people, why, why has the Tories, despite all the rhetoric, why have they tried for years and years and years to screw the NHS? It's because the NHS is socialism in action. You know, it's us as a community saying, we're all prepared to paint us something that we all hope we never ever have to use, but we're happy to do that for when we do need it. And you can apply that across the board, you know, housing, work. Um, and if we, if, we, if we did a situation where everything we did was for the benefit of the community and, you know, and, and, and not the hell with the cost, but like, you know, um, not let money be the dictating factor of, of why you can and can't do things, we'll be a much, much better place to be. Um, I used to always say, people to me when I was a member of parliament, what should an MP's job be? And I also like that my job should be to make people happy, and uh, and I think as a, as a, you know, make the best way to make them happy is to get us all a good good start in life, a good good way through life, decent job, kids going to decent school, people living in decent houses, 
and that'll only ever happen, I think, with, with the socialist programme. It's never we we've tried it. We tried it for centuries before we really got the grip in the forties. And then we've tried it from nineteen seventy-nine onwards, kowtow to monetarism. Um it, it eased off a little bit when we were in power, but not enough to make a real difference. And now we've gone back in the last ten years massively. And the answer's still there. The answer's the same. Our fathers and mothers, grandfathers and grandmothers had it right in the 1940s, it was the right way forward, and we should have kept on doing it. So, like, you've really described well, like, what happened there with, with Thatcher. You're basically saying it was a direct attack on a socialist lifestyle. Is that what you, is that what you were saying? Like, so all the, all the attacks by Thatcher in yeah. the 80s? And... Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I think it started, I think, ultimately, she couldn't believe our luck. Um, she decimated the state industry, she brought McGregor across from America, she decimated the state industry, she was having all the crap around um, in, in 81 when they had a really bad economic uh, downturn and they were getting riots in the streets and stuff like that. Then she had the fluke of the Falklands War, which like put it on cloud nine as far as, as far as she goes. She should get away with murder without a shadow of a doubt. And she won in 83 and she come after the, the state workers and then she come after us in the mines. And I think it was an economic thing at first. I think she really did want to wade out on economic pits because she realized, you know, you, Going by coal from places like Colombia and China, where you had kids working down the pit and slaves working in, in quarries, um, or places like Russia, where you know 6,000 many years still dying, China, where you know people are dying unknown numbers every year getting coal, but they can, they can bring it halfway around the world for cheaper than way to get out of the ground because we look after you know, again, come back to the socialist argument from nationalization onwards, we massively invested in mechanization, we invested in training. We invest in setting up joint uh, bodies between the employer and the employee, and we made the place a better place. But it, it, it was an economic cost. It did cost more to have decent machinery. It did cost more to have decent safety standards. It did cost more to let people have, you know, shorter working weeks and uh, better holidays and stuff like that. It was the right thing to do. But she, um, ultimately, I think, as the strike went on and she saw that the union was weakened. And then we went back to work, and I think she thought we were just going to roll over, but we didn't roll over. We, we carried on in every little way. I mean, Arthur Scargill's line was, we have, we have guerrilla warfare after the strike. And to a certain extent, we did. We were having wildcat strikes and things like that. And I think they, they just realised that the only way to really bait was completely was to destroy the, the industry altogether. So whatever, the, whatever your argument, your debate is on, you know, the rights and wrong of burning coal, which is obviously different now than what it was 30 years ago, she, she decided that she would get rid of what was an absolute precious asset of our country to destroy effectively organised labour. Because the truth is, um, and it's, there's, there's a few obvious uh, exceptions, but by and large, if you look at, since we went on strike in the 80s, most people have the view, well, if the miners cannot win, we cannot win. And I think we're saying, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm amazed that for the last 10 years, people's living standards have been completely eroded and there hasn't really been uh, an organised attempt of industrial action or even real political action to, 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 to stop it and reverse it. And it's, uh, but, that, but that is a legacy of, of, of what Thatcher was able to get away with. And what the, and, and I guess fear is the wrong word, but I think it's people probably just despair, like, well, if, if, if the miners can't win, none of us can. And it's, it's quite, quite sad, to be honest with you. I think um, you're talking about, like, the legacy of what that did, but I was thinking lately with the COVID crisis and everything we've had, like the legacy of what people did in those communities, like the welfare parks and things like that. What what would we have done during COVID without the ability to maybe just we had no quality of life whatsoever? Yeah. And you think about like the legacy of what was built in the communities, and we've got um, buildings like Red Hills, and, and I know that you're heavily involved in in that. Um, so like you know. This, this socialist idea, do you think it's had a, a lasting legacy that people really don't appreciate? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've been to a meeting today in Hetton, in a place called the Hetton Centre, and, still, and it was about the, the, the welfare failed, the football failed, of which I was on a committee that like some 35 years ago, um, and it's now played on by the Sunderland Ladies team and what is effectively the Sunderland Reserve team. And you look at it and you think, this is bloody marvellous, you know, the, the things were built but nobody appreciates that it was done effectively because the community come together, and, you know, the lads took, paid so much weight off the pay notes, the employer contributed, and um, 
the council was supportive and all this, and it was joint efforts of people coming together. And it's now run by a trust and the decent people, but there's no sort of real um, understanding about where they come from. And some of that has got to be put out there. Us um, who were involved, you know, from the miners' union and other places, who perhaps we didn't blow our own trumpet loud enough, and perhaps it's just you know we we struggle to get through just just day day life. So stuff like that was just. Uh, forgotten, but I mean, there is. Um, I'm involved with a thing called CISWO, which is a country welfare organisation, and the vice chair of the regional one in the northeast. And uh, we still do grants and support people, and uh, on an individual basis, and we do convalescent um, holidays for people that we're getting on in the, in the, the years. Uh, we haven't been able to do them this year, obviously, but um, we've got about two and a half million pounds that we that we do grants. Um, we did things like you know repairing welfare roofs, putting central heating in places like Eastern Welfare, uh, places like that. So it's still there um, if you know about it. But in terms of actually saying, hey, this is us, this is we did this, we should be proud of it. I think people have lost it, to be, to be honest with you, uh, which is a crying shame because it's a really good story to be told there. There absolutely is, and then when you think of. Um when when they built Red Hills, when the miners built Red Hills as well. Um, what was the idea behind building the building of Red Hills? The whole point was that um, Durham was the epicenter of world of the coal trade for the world by far. Um, and we had a huge membership. My granddad was was a branch official back then. He was part and parcel of the people who actually agreed to pay, you know, a penny a week where it was to get the place built. And it was basically a statement to see at the employer, you know, we are big players. You know, they, I mean, they've been meeting in what was the old picture hall down down there, North Road, and they started off in the market tavern. But when they built the uh, Red Hills, it was a statement to say, look, look at us, we are serious, serious people. And they were, you know, the, our role, you know, most of the lads, I, I often say this thing about, if you ever go to Red Hills and you say what's called the Parliament, there was men going to those, in those seats. Some of them probably couldn't read and write the vast majority, if not all of them, didn't have the vote, and yet they were getting up and they were shaping their communities, you know, and, uh, but it was, to see it, the, the, the employer, we are on a par with you. It always reminds me, and it's, it's a strange analogy, but if you ever go to see the Stormont building in Northern Ireland, um, the, the British government never ever wanted to build that, and they said it had to be built near the road. And in typical Northern Ireland, um, What's the word? I don't, I don't be cheeky. Them, but like, you know, their, their stubbornness. They built it exactly a mile from the main road and halfway down they've got the statue of Carson and he's pointing at them. And, and, and it always reminds me in a sense that like, you know, that's what we did in Durham. It's almost like we've got the four statues of the guys who started and they should really put down the face sign because that's what they were doing, like, you know, like to, to, to the employer. You know, and it was, it was a statement of what we were and who we were. And it's still, and it's magic. And it? I mean, you know, we've just won... Uh, a lot we bid. We, we're in the process of um, just getting going to see the unions in the next month or so about getting them to contribute if they can, um, and it'll transform the place for another century. And it's great stuff. It's magic. And it, it, it we're the world's worst um, working class in this country for um, defending our history, for saving our history, preserving our history. There's so many things that we just let go. I mean, it's a it's a story that I mean, we we were the start. We were the start of the industrial revolution, and uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't be ashamed of what we did and the things we achieved. You know, I know, I know we did some. When you look at the, the people who ran the empire, they did some bloody horrible things. But the people who actually made the empire were just ordinary men and women. And, and part of it was we stand up for our people and for our community. And that's that's the statement that Reddell's made then and still does. It's, uh, you've just got me thinking now. I wonder, I wonder with like this newfound enthusiasm for um, statues in the in, oh, in the country, and yeah. you know you've you've got like people who were stood defending the the, the statue of Lord Londonderry, um, who's a big figure in the northeast and Northern Ireland. It's like my dad's Northern Irish, so I know all about Stormont. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, you know, uh, so you know. I wonder if there's there's any uh, any way that we could highlight the importance of actual our actual heritage, our actual um, you know we'll come from. The, the way we've yeah where where we've come from in the northeast. I wonder if there's any way we could really push that. I, I think it's certainly something we should be doing. You know, I mean, it's um, like I say, we've got so many 
important. I mean, if you if you look, I, I tell you what, it's a disgrace in this part of the world. There's not one pit left. Not one. You know, if you, you forget forget Beamish. Beamish is, you know, I'm not not distracting Beamish, but it's not a real symbol of what they might. They've got a minor museum in York, so they've got one in Wales. We should have had one in here, but they they, they knocked them down with the Joe haste because they were terrified. Certainly for the the last five that was the ones on the course, they were terrified that uh, Labour was going to win the 1992 election. So as soon as we didn't win it, they flattened Asington, Asington, Weymouth, uh, Westdoor, what was the other two? Darden and Vian Tempest, they flattened them. So there's, 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 I think the only headgear that's left in the whole of Durham is up in where I'm living down in uh, Taysdale now. And there's a, there's a, there's a pulley wheels um, on the road between Rookwarp and Allen Heads. And it's the only one, it's the only symbol that's left. I mean, there is the one, there's the one at the, the Glebe and the one in, in uh, South Shales, but they're not what they could have been, you know? And, and so even as they, we don't even mark the industry, let alone mark the contributions that work and people have done. And that's part and parcel of what will be done within Reniels. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt, it will be. I mean, you know, okay. It'll be other things, it'll be education, it'll be uh, um, culture, but it'll also be celebrating the heritage that, that we, we did proud of, and, and, and rightly so. So, like, you, you were a miner, and were you a trade union rep while you were? I, I was started off, so I started off in Yorkshire. Uh, we we travelled all around the country with my dad from 64 to 69. I started 69 in Doncaster. I, I was there turned off here, then I moved back over here. Uh, come from Sunderland originally. Um, I went to Horden Colliery and I was there about 10 months and then I went there, but the Colliery was a settling hall and I was there for about 14 years and um, I become, I actually, that's <laughs> a strange story really, I went I went to a, a union meeting because I was getting injured at work and I, I had to say to Brian Settley about to put the claim in and while I was there, they, they were going through, they said you have to wait at the union until the meeting finishes and I was about 24 at the time and uh, there was, um, a letter from the Labour Party saying there's anyone to go to the Labour Party Youth School down in uh, Ruskin College. And there was nobody in the room under 55 except me. So they all said to me, well, Davey, why don't you go? I says, well, I'm not a member of the Labour Party. Oh, we'll join you at the Labour Party. Get yourself away for weeks on it. So that was, that was me uh, first really involved. I've been on strike in the early, I, went, um, I was in Yorkshire and there was two regional strikes in 1771. Then there was a national strike in 72 and 74. But, I, I, you know, I wasn't really active in them. I just got married and stuff like that, you know, it was just, uh... but then I become a youth delegate and I was a regional delegate to the, um, from the pit to the, to the, uh, our regional, con our regional council in, in Durham. I was a mechanic. Um, I was on the regional executive. I actually cast a vote in 84 about saying we'll come out on strike. But then we did, uh, the mechanics actually had branch votes when we were saying he hadn't had a ballot. We did have ballots. Uh, we won the few sections in the union that was, we always argued we were legally on strike because we've done it within the rules of the union, albeit a regional rule, but it was a, a rule. Um, I was chairman at, uh, when I went to Merton, I went to Merton in the 86, I chaired the branch there. So, you know, I'd been uh, regional and active for more than 10 years and I got me redone in the 89. And I went, I went to work the council as a care worker. That's, uh, that's quite an interesting transition that, isn't it? Because you know, a lot of people who work in the mines had quite like, very different careers when they came out. The, the one thing we wanted, it was, it was crackers. I, I, I never had money in my life and I had 20,000 quid in the bank. And I was desperate to get a job because it was like, I must have a job, must have a job. You know, it's like, it's not, not the right thing not to have a job. So I was out of work six, six weeks and I was going part time to Durham University. Um, so I just wanted a job to see us through. I was doing like the first year of a degree course part time. And then if you passed it, you went on the second year. Um, so, I was just putting for a job as a car officer driver at a place in uh, Newcastle. And I hadn't got a bloody clue what it was. And they the, the said, like, um, Dave, do you know, any, have you ever done any personal cars? Oh, I've looked after my dad. I've, you know, like, stopped more from the club, maybe, or stuff like that. But uh, so the first day I went to work, and I was only I was only employed for 13 weeks. That was the original contract. Again, we've been there 16 years. But um, first day I went to work, after about three hours, this, this officer said, do you ever want to take this one to the toilet? I said, no, mate, no, you're joking, aren't you? So no, he says, you've got to write. Says, no, no, it's not me, job. He says, it is like Davy. And this last set, it was Davy Cohen, I'll show you how to go on. And, and it was like, God, God what I've let myself in for. But I ended up loving it. It was great. It was like work with people. I mean, I took like, I, I was earning less than half of what I had been in the pit. But the big thing, and he said, but what, what lads are looking for was security. Because we'd always thought 
that the, the pit would be secure. You know, the worst thing I thought was I'd end up maybe working at CM or Easington when I was 65 year old, you know, not, not knowing that within four years there'd be no left. Um, so a career, well, I was looking at a career, but a job in care, it was like, well, well I was need to look after world people, wouldn't we? You know, even that's not even certain nowadays, like, but, uh, so that was part of the reason why I went there, but I just, I just really loved it. And then um, after about nine months, I got made permanent. And at the same time, it was Newcastle Council, that they were like everybody else at the time, they were under real pressure, budget pressures. And um, they proposed to do an employee buy of the care homes, effectively privatised them, but with the employees doing it. So it was a bit more uh, tasteful. And a guy who was a good friend of mine who I'd met when I was working the pit, he was a, a regional officer for Newby, Phil, like oh, Phil Lenton. Um, he, he said, he knew I was you know, been a union rep. He says, well, you do us a favour. I says, I, he says, they're setting up a steering group. He says, there's union representation on, but we know they're doing things and not telling the union. Well, you go on there as our mole. So I went on and I was, I was on for about six months and it was brilliant because we undermined them completely from within. Because they go to the meetings and they'd be saying, they get a report and like, in front of the councils, blah, blah, blah. And like, okay, right, that's great. Anybody any questions? And Phil would say, I can you tell us what when you went down to Gloucester? Or does he know we went to Gloucester? Or when we went to, um, what they call them, Road Chef on the TV and stuff like this. There's another word there. So and, and on the back of that, Phil said, do you fancy like um, working like full-time as, as a seconded lay official? So in early 1990, or no, late 1990, I become Deputy Branch Secretary of the New York Branch and you know, as the council, which had about three and a half thousand members at the time. And from then until I went into parliament, I was doing union work all the time. And including, I went on the national executive of Newby and then uh, Jonasson when we merged in 93. And I ended up becoming the president of the union. I was a policy chair for nearly all the time I was um, in Jonasson. Worked very closely with Dave Prentice before he became the general secretary. He was, he was the secretary of the policy meeting, I was the chairman. Um, we developed the, the minimum wage platform and stuff like that and did a lot of work in Northern Ireland because our union is one of the few, few groups in Northern Ireland that worked across the community. So when we said things, it was it, it was respected because, you know, we, we didn't let the sectarians together. We have actually done the business for people. It was like, we didn't care what church you go to or what school you went to. If you're getting wrong at, at work, we'll support you. If, the, if you're getting shit on by the bosses, we'll be behind you, this sort of stuff. And it was great stuff and I really enjoyed working with them people. They were great people. Um, and I was I became president of the union in 2003, and I was on the general council of TOC for six years from 1999 to when in Parliament. So, yeah, good stuff. Great. Yeah, it was to me it was like um, it was like being a footballer or a pop singer. You know, you, you're getting paid to do something. You, you give your right arm today. You know, and you know I was, I was still only paid as like you know an order as a car worker, but didn't bother. But I was doing something I loved. You know, and it was like. And we had some great times and we did some good things, so, you know, um, happy to be doing it. But but there become a point where um, it was a bit like Groundhog Day. We, we were going, the, I was on the policy forum of the party and I was like going to meetings and it was like, you know, it was, it was the height of Blairism and we weren't really getting listened to. It was like, you know, it was a bit like you're getting the crumbs off the table. Um, the minimum wage is a good example. We, we did more than anybody else. We had a great research department in Yonison. And we, we were the first people to put a figure on the minimum wage and it was £4.15 an hour in 1999. And Blair was like, oh, that's far too far too much. And at the end, we ended up getting 3.65. But if you look at it, that was 20 quid a week back in 1999. And if you look now, if it had gone up, it was it was literally about where the living wage is now. So, you know, so we had it right. And and if you think, you know, if it's at that level, the difference it would have made to people's lives, you know, it's 20 quid a week, but when you're on it, when you're being earned like a hundred quid a week, that's a big chunk, you know. So, uh, good stuff. Work with good people, Ronnie bigger stuff, people like that, you know, giants. Do our protocol and friends, just really, really good people. Again, a lot of what you mentioned there, stuff to be, to be really proud of. And I think sometimes we forget about all the gains we've made and then they get taken for granted, like the minimum wage. And, and then, like, even when you talk about the living wage, Actually, you're talking about the real living wage, aren't you? Not the thing that George Osborne named the no, UK absolutely. living wage. Or... Yeah. Well, I've never done the maths on it, Paul, but if you look at, if you look at like, you know, whatever percentage, 50, 50 pence is out of over 365 an hour, 
it'll be about now where 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 the the, the Osborne's living wage is about eight and a half quid, and and people you know cover the real living wage it's well over a tenner, so it's probably you know it, it we had it about right you know, because um, you know we had serious people you know we had, we employed some fantastic um, policy officers and you know we we get people in and you know from universities and, and from you know, from business and everything we would. We're proud of what we did. I was we're serious players. Um, the, the other the thing I said, and again, um, and people tend to forget about it, is the huge strides we did in Northern Ireland. You know, I mean, Northern Ireland's not perfect, but by Christ, it's a lot better than what it used to be. I mean, uh, you know, I was gone there. I first got involved in, in, the, in the middle 80s with, with Northern Ireland. We had some people across uh, through the, the miners' union. We, we had families whose kids had been killed by plastic bullets. And... Uh, we went from that, uh, you know, less than 20 years later, 15 years later, where, you know, you were, people were genuinely seeing we've got a chance here to make things better. And, you know, it's still, it's still nowhere near where, where we would ever, any of us wanted to be. But, you know, you're not talking about 3,000 people getting killed. I mean, my first meeting I had with, with the newbie officer in uh, Northern Ireland, there was a great woman called Ines McCormack, um, who become big friends with the Clintons. And when she, she died early, and one of the, the best epitaphs she got was from Hillary Clinton because they just admired the work the woman did. And she said, if you think about the day, and this would have been 94, she says 3,000 people have died in Northern Ireland. If it was on the mainland, it would be 100,000. If it was in America, it would be half a million. She says, do you really think they would have turned a blind eye to half a million Americans getting killed or 100,000 British people getting killed? I said, no, they wouldn't have. And yet, basically... I can remember that was I was like living it like you know you would put the news on or oh, somebody else got killed another night so oh, right I what's on the other side you know there was that blase you know and it was like but people were living it and, and you know and we stopped that you know we, we should never ever forget you know what what a, what a key part we played in in that uh, that change real change in people's lives and, and you know it comes back to what we seen before it just shows you what you can do when you really want to do it you know and, and put your put your time and your effort and your um, all your resources into doing something like that, and you can you can do it. It's interesting the stuff you say about Northern Ireland. Like I've, I spent a lot of time there as a kid, and right. I remember um, there was a bomb scare when I think I was in my late teens in the in, in the UK somewhere in the northeast. Right. I remember this blind panic, and you know people were panicking, saying it wasn't even a real bomb scare. It was just mm -hmm. someone had said there was a bomb scare. It turned out there hadn't been. And I was just like, what are you, what's wrong with you? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Because like whenever there was a bomb scare over there, you just got on with things. It was so normal. Yeah. Um, and what a worrying thing. And now Northern Ireland's such a, a much better place in that regard. And it's, you know, yeah. I think people should really be appreciative of, of the work that was done at that time. Yeah. And, you know, no, more, more, more more than anniversary today. No, it is, I, uh, but, you know, I mean, you got, yeah, much as I, I was never a, never a big fan of Blair's, but you know, the one thing what Blair did was we put the time and effort in. And I should say this to Cameron, Cameron never, ever spent any time in Northern Ireland. Uh, there, there was a joke he went over once and somebody says, he's got to get back, what's he got to get back? He's got to get back for his tea. You know, but, and it was a joke, but it wasn't a joke. You know, it was like, and, and you had to be like, you had to be balanced, you know, I mean, I, 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 I'd wear my heart on my sleeve, I'd live in United Ireland, but you know, I had to park that. Um, with a union at a park that with when, when I was doing stuff in, in, in Parliament because I was on the Northern Ireland Select Committee for a long time, I ended up being uh, Shattered, Shattered City State. And you had to work with both sides, and you had to because you know it was the deal we got, which was you know, n nobody had won, but you would stop it from anybody losing anymore. And the way you did that was by you know, being fair to everybody. And um, part of the reason why um, Northern Ireland has become. A more, a more disturbed place in the last 10 years than what it was in the 10 years before is because the attention hasn't been paid to them. The only, they paid attention when they were buying the votes off them in 2017 when, when they were, you know, when uh, they needed them for the balance of power and you know, obviously around the Brexit stuff. But, but they, they didn't really do, um, they didn't put the time in. And, and also the people that the Tories had as a series of state were absolutely died in the wool supporters of loyalism and and and, and I, I i'm not i am not them for that but but, but you know the merit sure and you and you it's, it's too big it's too important to do it should have been much more balanced um and it's uh it, i mean it's you know there's still a long way away from where we were in the 90s and 90s but you know um 
if if the door if it isn't looked after properly, it could it could degenerate. I mean, the, I think the big thing is um, the communities don't want to go go back in the way that they did in the past. Um, so hopefully, it, you know, if there ever is any any attempt to do that, it'll it'll not it'll fail. But it still doesn't mean to say that things are right. But but as I say, we made a huge step. And I mean, you mentioned more when you think about it. Um, we got elected in May two uh, May nineteen ninety seven. And the agreement was signed in April 1998, you know, 11 months. It was a massive, you know, you had people, you had there, uh, call him, uh, God, oh, I can say his face, Senator from America come across uh, for a huge amount of time in, you know, and and, and that was that was important because he was seen as being um, a clean pair of hands because it would be anybody, you know, from our side, it would have said, oh, you all supported it. Uh, you know, the was always been more for United Ireland. If it was Tories, it would have been this. So, so um, you know, but, but you know, give Blair credit where he pulled that together. You know, and, and he, he put a lot of time in. He put made the civil servants go through a lot. And I, and I know more was making the civil servants jump all over the place because they'd never been told what they, they had always been basically told people what to do. And uh, and when more went in, things completely changed. She just no, she was just need way. But more more was in Yonison. And um, we've seen before I was chairing the policy committee, we, we gave her 50,000 pounds when she was in opposition. So she was able to employ staff. So when she went into, she was shadow secretary of state, when she went into the full-time job, she was much, much better prepared than what we'd ever been in the past. And I remember sitting in the meeting when it was before she told people she had cancer, but she just got her first week. And she was, uh, I says, what are you going to do more? And she had a biscuit in her hand. She started hitting herself on the head with this biscuit. She says, we're going to bounce the bastards all over the place. They've never, ever been bounced the way I'm going to bounce them. She about the civil servants. And she went in, went through them like a dose of salt. You know, but it worked. You know, it's great stuff. It's, uh, it's really good and an uplifting story when you hear about that. And now we see um, sort of the opposite happening. Like you say, we've got people who were like you, who had gone through a background, had had a real job. You worked in, in the mines, then you worked in care. And then, um, and then you, you know, you've got your trade union background, you knew things about Northern Ireland. And now you've got like people who were being put in, in charge of, um, of like Northern Ireland, basically the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. And they don't know anything. They haven't read the Good Friday Agreement. It's like forty-two pages or something. They haven't bothered to read any of that. That must uh, really infuriate you. Well, it does. We've got a prime minister. I don't think he can read, can he? I mean, my latest one is, you know, if I if I was his dad, I'd be asking me money back off eight, and that's without a shadow of a doubt. Got a fireplace salesman's education secretary. You know, I mean, you couldn't write it. But they've, they've got. I mean, look, there's people in Parliament who I would never. Um, they never be my friends. We'll pick like John Redwood, David Davis. Whatever you think about them, they're not stupid people. They've got years of experience, and they sit on the back benches because they're not nodding dogs. And he's got people on the on the front bench. You just look at them. Think. I mean, I, I, I used to work opposite something. Bloody hell, you know. Like, I mean, I, when um, when we were in government in two thousand five, I was a paper yes for a guy called Bill Rammel. He had the higher education brief. And at the time, Boris was a, a junior minister in higher education. We used to do select committees room. And he was absolutely bloody useless, you know? And and he could see he had no time for detail and he had he had no time for um doing the work, doing the graft. And it just used to be like going over his head. And, and he's exactly the same now as what he was back then. And it's like it's frightening for a bloody, you know. I mean, particularly in you know, the, the 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 disgraceful the, the situation at the minute. With so much, so many things going on, you know, the, the, the response to COVID, the obvious recession we're going to be facing, and then the, the whole fallout from Brexit, and you've got a bloke who's, you know, he's got the attention of a gnat. And really, it's really like um, frightening. And and what was put beneath him? As I've seen before, that the, the the only competent one they've got, even though we wouldn't want them, is Cummins. And that's why they kind of get rid of him, you know, because there's, there's nobody else. I mean, you go through them all, you know. I mean, Rab comes over as being, you know, the sensible one, but you, you go up on that, but there's, there's none of them. He didn't the know problem. where Callier was. Well, sorry, he didn't right. know that Callier was important for trade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, well the, the, the previous Secretary of State, I can't remember her name now, she was Bradley, wasn't it? 
she didn't realize like the tribalism in Northern Ireland. Like, you know, it's like, all right, so you gone on for 800 years, like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, she just didn't have a clue. And it's like, bloody hell, you know, she started from there. Um, I mean, I had a body with a guy on one Patterson who, who was a rabid. He was, he was the first Secretary of State they had after to come back to power in 2010. We were at a dinner with him and he was just pushing this one line. And I said, like, you know, you're forgetting the fact that, you know, there's a, there's a substantial minority, nearly a majority in this country who don't want to be in this country and you're ignoring them. And he ended up like he wouldn't talk to us anymore. Like he stormed out his bloody dinner. He was awesome. Like, you know, but it's just like, you know, you've got to recognise you know, what you're doing. You know, it's, and, well, they are, they're frightening. They really are. They're incompetent. You know, I mean, I mean, one thing you are, I, I hate the thoughts of revenge, but you're surrounded by people who had some track record. You know, they were doing things to us, we hated, but, you know, at least they were competent at what they did. Um, you can't say about any of these. None of them. The only thing they're good at is not answering questions. And they didn't even cover, I mean, the, 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 the amount of times the BBC says we've been invited to come on the programme and they haven't. I mean, it's a disgrace. Absolute dis, dis, hopeless. Getting away with murder. So do you think, like, you know, there should be more people in Parliament, like, you know, with, with a background, you had a track record, you'd worked, you'd done a lot of other things, you had a lot of experience. Do you think that's something that's lacking in Parliament, or maybe, like, on the Conservative side, or both sides? Or? Both sides, absolutely. I mean, because, you see, when I, when I was um, putting putting the BMP, um, I mean, I thought about long and hard. I was like, I've got to stop with the young. I could, I could have been with young and the Diary Tide. I think yeah, I could have probably still been on the national executive, but it was a bit like Groundhog Day and being here against... And we were still in power. Yeah, I, got, we, we, I had five years in government, which is a lot, a lot of uh, my mates who were down there. They've never had that chance so far. But it was still like, you know, we were on the outside looking in. It's like, well, the only way to do it was get in there. And, and this bloke said to me, said, you know, was, we did a bit like campy entry. He says, the thing you've got, Davey, is you can get up and you can tell a story and you can see it. I know what it's like to be on the door. I know it's like to be made redundant. I know it's like to be injured at work and stuff like this. And, 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 it's, and it stops them in the tracks because they kind of, you know, they, they'll come out with spacious arguments about anything. You know, I remember Hancock, Hancock was doing, we did a thing on health and safety and he was tearing the mic and he was on about, I've been, I've been in a care home. And they had a skull and crossbones on this on this door. Do not enter. And I said, like, did you ask anybody what was behind that door? What, what do you mean? I said, well, it could have been chemicals, could have been you know a, a boiler or whatever. And you, and you got people with dementia walking about. Well, they would recognise the skull and crossbones, you know. And but it was like they just you know they're just flying through. And I just I just think it is and, and on all sides. You know, I mean, we had, we had a discussion a few years back at the Labour Party conference about positive discrimination, and and like. When I stood in 2005, when I went for selection tours, there was four seats in the northeast, and Bladen was the least winnable. And that's the only one that the, that the left one was fair enough, you know. There was Gateshead, Durham, when Roberta got it. What was the other one? Forget the other one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, well, that, that was fine. But we had the discussion about how can we, and it was about how can we get more and more working people in. And, and I said, well, if you're serious, should apply positive discrimination again. And what you should do is you shouldn't allow anybody who's been a spad within the last five years to stand for a seat. And it was like, what? You know, like being a policy advisor, being a wonk, you know, respect them and pick like Ed Miliband, Dave, Dave Miliband, who were like bright kids, you know, the clever fellas, but they haven't done the things the people like me have done. They can't, you know, it's, and it's hard for them to relate to ordinary people. You know, somebody comes, Somebody goes to surgery and tells you, like, you know, I've been put on the door or I've been sacked or, you know, it's like, oh, I failed for you. But you did it, man, because you, you never been there. Do you know? And it's like, and I'm not, you know, I'm not anti um, people from their backgrounds being in there, but I think the balance is completely skewed. There's, I'm, I'm, I'm hard pushed to think of many people who are in there now who, who are what you would call, you know, live a genuine working class life. You know? Um, and you know, it's like you can go too far, and like you know, but um, but if you're not, if you're not, if people don't fail, that you understand what they're going through, it makes them less likely to feel like they're going to vote for you. And, and we've seen that we've seen that over the years, and the votes dropped off, and it, and it's clear with what happened with Brexit. Like you know, people from my background, um, seeing like, you know, they never said to me, but it's like we don't know where you come from. I, I had I had a mate who had gone through the strike, was a great lad. 
And this was about, oh, about 14 years ago, maybe a bit more. If you remember, there was a big yoke push in Sunderland. And um, somebody said, oh, John, this is Stanford Council. All right, I says, John, please. I'm Stanford Yokeup, David. I said, you what, John? He says, I'm Stanford Yokeup. So I don't know what the Labour Party means anymore. He says, yeah, I know what you mean, David. But most of them, it's like, and you know, and that's very compounding. Like, you know, the, the, the whole debate around last year about um, how soft we go on Brexit, how, how far we move about a second referendum, this, that, and the other. And it was like, every time they were seeing it, I could see people just saying, these people don't understand what I'm going through. And, and either people might have been conned, but, you know, they made a decision and we were like effectively rubbishing them and saying, you know, bright enough. we weren't saying this up front, but this is why people considered it. You would tell them they weren't bright enough to make their own minds up. And you see that people, they're bound to get their backs up. You know, and, and, it, and it'll be a long, long way back from when they're... Obviously, the, the, the best thing you can ever find when you canvass and you're not on somebody's door and they say, I want to vote for it. My mum would go, man, if I didn't vote Labour, or my dad spin his grave. It's like, champion, that's dead easy. Another one in the boat. People now saying, I'm not going to vote for you because my dad didn't vote for you. Nobody voted for you. We're not voting. And I think that's one of the big miscalculations that Blair made was that he thought there's a block of people in the country that always vote for us. And they didn't realise, well, first and foremost, they don't have to vote at all. You know? And then and then you get an opposition who comes along with an offer for them. And it might be, we'll give you a council house for half price or we'll give you shares today and you can sell them a dollar price tomorrow. You're bribing them with your own money. Or it might be, we'll take you out of Europe because these Europeans have been the people while your life is a mess, isn't it? And like, you know, I think I think a lot of people in politics, we think that everybody else is in what is involved is what we are. And most people aren't. Most people spend, you know, a few minutes a year thinking about it. And it's like, but if it's like drumming into your day and day out, like, you know, you're in this mess because of these lousy Europeans. And, and to be honest, We've never ever put up a good case for Europe anywhere, really, from from any political body in this country. I was just like, when you got the people coming in from Eastern Europe, like you would think historically, why would this side with the Germans, the likes of the Yugoslavs and the people like the Greeks, they would look to us. They saw us. It's like like we were on an old double decker bus with a back door where you've got one foot on the platform and one foot on the street, and it's like, well, they're not going to be us. So what's the point of listening to them? And we should have let it come back to Ireland. Ireland's been transformed by Europe, and we could have been if we'd engaged more. And I think the whole stuff, I'm sorry you ran on, but the whole stuff around um, the anti democratic stuff, in, which, which it is over, overly bureaucratic, but we never challenged it. We should have organised and said, look, you know, this isn't good enough. We want the parliament to mean something. We want proper elections. We don't want to be run by bureaucrats. And it, you would never get the like, you know, a single state sort of thing, but, you, but we could have made much more inroads. But but because we didn't build alliances, people didn't listen to us. And there we are, and it, which made it easy for them people who always wanted to be out for different reasons that, 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 that we're out now and um, we didn't even know, we didn't know where we're going to be. You know, and, and we, should have, we should have been running the job. Do you think that, that you're talking about like some that could be a disconnect because some people haven't done these ordinary jobs and some people haven't like, you know, lived that kind of lifestyle and there's too many MPs there that maybe haven't got that relationship with people. Do you feel that's the case with members as well? Because in, let's say for example, in 2016, when there was the, the coup against Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, yeah. and he'd just been democratically elected by members and yeah. members said, we want this. And it seems to members that the, Parliamentary Labour Party or a large section in the Parliamentary Labour Party because I know you were there at the time and you weren't one of those people They'd said actually members you're wrong. You voted wrong. Yeah. You're incorrect about Jeremy Corbyn And that still goes on to this day that feeling yeah. within the membership still goes on to this day Well, you need to go back the, the irony of this is Jeremy only got the job because to change the rules and it only changed the rules because Modernizing, whispering, Ed Miller. I have a lot of time for Ed Miliband. Well, people whispering in his ears saying, You've got to move away from the unions. You're saying as redhead, you've got to do something. And when they come up with the plans, we said to them, I, I was on the trade union group in Parliament, but also we're having meetings with the unions and, and we were saying to them, Listen, if you go ahead with this real change, you'll open the door to people who, who want to come in, who won't be, you know, the people that, that you are thinking are going to come in. Because he was being told by, advisors 
oh, the, the population would love to have a see it and who's the Labour leader. They didn't give a toss. You know, by and large, people, like, they didn't even know what was going on, but obviously loads of people come in and give credit to Joe. You know, John McDonald, Jeremy, they got organised and they got people in. And, and you know, and, and so I think I think we're really, they were annoyed with themselves anyway because they'd, they'd given the opportunity um, to people to elect somebody like Jeremy. Um, but my view was, you know, he's the leader. He's being elected. I mean, I, I, like, I keep saying this, but, you know, like, I, I went to Parliament, you know, and I had Barney's with Blair, the policy forum through the union and all sorts. But they asked me to be a PPS. There, was, there wasn't a coup against Blair, but there was a big move against him in 2006. And, and a lot of people had, had to stand down. Watson had to stand down. Ian Wright, there's about seven of them who have been PPS. So whips had to stand down. And I got a phone call up the blue from the chief whip. It was Jackie Smith at the time. He says, do you like you to be a PPS? I'm saying, you, you didn't want me, man. No, we do like, you know, and it was because they were struggling to find people. So I says, I okay? Because it was, you're part of the team. You know, you get on and you help out. And, and you know, and I did, I did, I was a PPS in higher education, defence and the foreign office. And then when Ed got elected, um, so I served under both Gordon and Tony, when Ed got elected, he has to be a whip. I, went, I was a whip. And then um, when Jeremy got elected, he asked us to be a whip and I didn't want to do it because I, I hated my time in the whip's office because a lot of us was, they treat, they treat people like kids and they treat them like adults and it was like the need to know and it was bollocks to be honest with you. But, but um, Jeremy said, I really need you to go in the whip's office to give Graham Morris some support because Graham was busy, a lone voice. And I really enjoyed it because I, I, I effectively become the go between the whip's office and the leader's office because um, they both respected us for whatever reason it was. And then I, obviously I took the, the Shadow City State job on. But I just think that um, the, the people who, they, were, they thought they were being really, really clever. Um, I mean, one line, I mean, I was, I was the Scottish whip for Ian Murray you know, at the time, the only Scottish MP in 2016. And he rang and he says, I'm Davey, I'm going to stand down and stuff. And I says, Ian, you can't stand down. It's me. He's got me no way left. He says, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And they all said it was done, you know, we did it independently from each other. Yeah, it's a lot of rubbish. Um, it, was, it was a deliberate attempt. Because what the thought was, there'll be a certain number, let's say a dozen. When a dozen have resigned, he can't fill the spots on the front bench. Um, because they didn't think, they either, they either didn't think that the, those of us who were left would be capable of doing it or would dare to do it. Um, and that he'd have to he'd have to walk, and but I think Jeremy did did the classic because uh, he's a union man, classic union. No, I'm not having it. No, to help you, and he rang us up and he rang. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I was pro I ended up doing t two jobs. Um, but Paul Flynn, you know, pa Paul was eighty two year old. He took the Welsh job on. He took he took the um, speakers mate. He just said, me and him was just on the bench laughing like you know look at us, look at us We're like one hundred and fifty years between us like what are we doing here you know? But it was like. The job needed doing, and it, 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 I'll tell you the, the funny thing. When they offered us another iron job, I was, it was the happiest moment of my life. I loved it, and I, I, the first did I got I got the job on a Tuesday, and on the Friday I had to go and lay a wreath at the centenary of the Somme, and it was like phew, unbelievable. You know, like look, what am I doing? I'm sitting behind Prince Charles, Camilla. Um, all the all the leaders of you know the the UK governments and me and Jeremy and Diane and other people sitting behind them, and then uh, we're on the train going back towards a tunnel, and I got a phone call from Katie Clark who was working in Jeremy's office. Time said, um, "Do you want to ask your fear? I says, "What says? Would you take up the Scottish separate?" You know, I says, nah, I says, "Katie, man, I says if I do that, I'll, not, I'll end up doing neither job properly." I says, "I don't really want to do it." She says, well, what do you think about it? I says, I okay, I'll think about it. But I'm on, I'm on the channel tunnel at the minute. Like, and, and, and literally, I went into the tunnel and she must have had a stopwatch on because I'd just come out about a mile and she rang us back. She says, have you made your mind up yet? I says, what you give us this pressure for? She says, I'll tell you why. And this was Friday tea time, six o'clock. She says, on Wednesday, it's Scottish questions. And we've got nobody to stand up at the questions. And the questions were laid on the Monday. So it was like... Right, all right, then I'll do it, you know, because it had to be done. Because once we couldn't fill a spot, we'd, we'd have folded, you know. And But I did, you know, I picked it up, and to be honest with you, I didn't enjoy it because um, when I was doing stuff um, up in Scotland, um, the leadership weren't supportive up there. 
because they were completely anti-Jeremy. Well, not completely, but most of them were anti-Jeremy. And you go to Rome and you'd be like, oh, do I trust in there? Oh, can I say things to us? And it was like, they didn't give us a button shut off. And it was, uh, it was, it was pretty, pretty dodgy, you know? And I, you know, like, you couldn't believe, I mean, the SNP, I, I got on quite well, the SNP, I was with the Scottish Affairs Committee, you know, but, the, you know, it's quite obvious for them, where he's an open goal. You've got an Englishman representing Scotland, you know, of course they're taking the mickey, but, you know, but, you know, but I, can, I was laughing that off and didn't bother in the slightest, but, you know, but I should have been getting support on basic stuff about what's got going on in day-to-day stuff in Scotland, um, and they weren't giving us uh, press briefs, they weren't giving us policy documents, um, they, they made Ian, Ian Murray, the Scottish, I'm trying to get the formal title again, I think it was the, the Scottish Parliament's Westminster spokesman, you know, to like undermine me, and I'm like, you know, it, it, yeah, it bothered us, but I didn't, I didn't let them say it bothered us, but it was like, you know, what are you playing at, man? And it was all part of undermining what, what Jeremy, because they couldn't believe that we were able to um, keep on going. They really, they couldn't, they couldn't get it. And I, I give credit to people, you know, Andy Burnham, Kay Starmer, people like, who, who I, I bet they were really having a go at them and they, they kept on the, the stuck because it was the right thing to do. And it was, you know, the, the members, and then the members went and, you know, voted for him even more the second time around, which, which really chased them up. And then when he, we, you know, we go and get such a good result in 2017, they've had the hat trick of being pissed off, but, you know, served them right. But I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen the colour of them, you know, you, you look at these who have been put in the Lords this last few years, you know, Ian Austin, Gateway, you know, Gisela Stewart, terrible. It's all, isn't it, the, the idea that, like, your ultimate loyalty to the Labour Party and that's like, it's a socialist trade unionist no, value, no. isn't it, to be loyal and stick together. What side are you on? What team are you on? You know, you do it, it's like, you know, I used to sit with it. Oh, I mean, the stuff we used to go black and white with Blair behind the scenes. But yeah, you know, what is it with the union and, and after when, when I was in Parliament? But you know, it, when when push comes to shove, Paul, the number one thing for me is uh, I've learned no no else in, in I'm 66 year old now is you can't day note if you didn't know when you publish. You can be at the best speech in the world. You can get up. I mean, I will tell you, when we were in coalition, like yesterday, when when we're up against coalition government. Because we're either in the chamber or in, in select committees. We were obviously the minority. We, you'd make the argument and you get the Liberal Democrats joined in with the argument and you know that in like an hour's time they're going to go and vote the other way. You know, and you, it, it, it's depressing, but it's like you keep at it. You know, but, but ultimately you've got to win. And it's, you know, and, and I know it's an old place and some people don't know the longer, but you know, a bad Labour government's always going to be better than the best possible Tory government, without a shadow of a doubt it is. And, you know, it's not, it's not where, you know, I never wanted to be part of it, like, you know, oh, please vote for us because we're a little bit better than them. But the truth is we are a little bit better, at least a little bit better than them, but we can, we can be much, much better. But you kind of deliver for people when you, when you haven't got all the, the, the levers of power. You know? And, and, and that's, that, I think that's, that's the lesson that people need, need to get to grips with. And, you know, and, and when you're disunited, you kind of deal with that. And, and people say throw you if you if you're not on the same page. And that's you know. And I mean, the truth is, 2017. Obviously, um, Mia reckons she, she called the election because she wanted a mandate for Brexit. That was bollocks. She thought that we were on the floor. She was going to wipe the floor with us. And and she might have if she'd been. If she had, but all she thought was, I've just got to turn up and get voted. What she didn't realise. For six weeks, people were going off to listen to, listen to proper arguments, and we won the debate. And we, we, you know, the fact is, we won the debate partly because she was so crap, but we did win the debate. And you know, and we put and, and whatever, you know, all, all, the, all the modernizers argue. Look at the numbers we put on in that one election. You know, we clawed back millions of people that were lost. You know, um, through through having a socialist platform because you get it, and you you sit and think, what's wrong with saying? Want to build a million houses for people who haven't got a one? What's wrong with saying we want to give people de- kids a decent education? We want to give people, you know, good free school meals? We want better hospitals. And, well, why wouldn't you vote for that? Do you know? So, all right, you're absolutely right about that, and it's that hopeful message. And I think that's possibly what didn't happen in 2019. It didn't come across as hopeful. It came across like a, a, a divided party and. 
you know, the, the media attacks had worked over that period of time. But why, why didn't you choose to stand in 2017? Because I don't, you've got to go on the base, you've got to stand for five years. Um, I wasn't particularly fit. I mean, I've never really looked after myself very well. And I just didn't want to be a Liam Duck. And I had to look like I'd be going to 2022. And my wife's uh, three years old, she'll kill us if she tells us. She's three years older than me. And it's like, we want some time to go. I mean, I've worked since I was 15. You know, I kept, I said, I, I just have this thing. I was working on the pit before man stood on the moon. That's how old I am, you know? And it's like, you know, I, want, I wanted some me time. And, uh, and it was like, if you think, uh, you know, so I would have probably, and as things turned out, if things had panned out the way they did and we ended up on the night, the 2019 election, if I'd stopped in 2017, I would definitely not have stood down in 2019 because I would have thought that like a change of an MP at that moment in time would have been detrimental. You know, would, would, that's no disrespect that Liz took over me, but it would have been harder for her than for me as a sitting MP. So I would have been committed for another five years, so 2024. I didn't want. To, I just didn't want me going down there and just make the numbers up. So I mean, Kevin, Kevin McGuire, he says, Jim, you, you, you've gone up the top, you know. Um, do I regret it? I think you know. The, the, the particularly I regret more than else is the Northern Ireland stuff, because Northern Ireland's come right to the front, obviously, with the Brexit thing and everything else. And I was, I mean, I did a lot of stuff with um, victims groups and things like that. So I, I missed that big time, um, and I missed, I missed the, the whole, not on the vote of it, you know, but. Um, whether I'd been physically fit enough, I, I was going home every night absolutely shattered. You know, I was going, I mean, I'm, I'm not the best in the world at looking after myself. I would go home. I wasn't eating properly. You know, I was eating crap. And I, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I've always been a big drinker, but to be honest, I, the, the last few years when I was down there, I wasn't drinking anything like what I used to be. But I was just absolutely knackered. I mean, I've got, I've got a knee operation with both my knees done in 2014. Um, but after, you know, I mean, it's, it's not physical work, it's just, just tiring, you know, and I was, I was going back to the flat every night looking, oh God, for the walk up them stairs and stuff. I was just, I didn't want to keep dragging myself up and down for another five years. Um, plus, it was, it was like you say, I wanted some me time with my wife. She deserved it. I mean, I've been, we're effectively since the strike, 83, I've been on the road, you know, very, not very often. I've spent a week other than holiday at home. Um, I mean, I got on the NAC in Yonson, 93, I was probably away from home more in the, what was I on there, 93 to 2005, I was way more then than what I was in MP, you know, because um, I was loving it, and I was at the top of the tree, so I was, you know, going all over the place, but there, so it was, it was more just about my own family life, and it wasn't any disillusion, not like that, I mean, you know, it was like, I say, it was, I was loving doing what I was doing, but it was just like, could I really keep it up for another five years, so... I think uh, I remember speaking to Graham Morris in, in like in 2016 when he had a lot of uh, shadow portfolios like yourself yeah. and uh, and I, I think it really did take a lot of out of people you know there's the there's the emotional side of it as well and like you know you, you're trying to keep these things going and you're taking on these extra things so it's no wonder you felt a little bit uh, run down at that time Wait. and also um, also like I think what a lot of members kind of hope I hope a lot of Labour Party members never forget is the debt of gratitude that they have, like that they should have for people like you and Graham and others for, for stepping up at that time and keeping the Labour Party functional because it was a huge thing. Right, I, well, it was, but to me, it was a huge thing, but it didn't feel like huge things. Like, it just felt like, like, again, example, right? I, I, and I used to apply this when I worked in care, it's going to sound stupid a little bit. When I worked on the pit, you go to work on a Sunday night, the, the pit had been standing all weekend, and you'd, you'd, you'd walk in, and you'd find the place was flooded. And everybody looked at you, because you were the fitter. So you were the one that had to take his clears off, go in the water, get the pump put right, and get the water shifted, before anybody else get to work. It was like, just what you had to do. And, and the same thing applied. When I was telling you before about taking somebody to the toilet in care, it was like, it's going to be done. You know, that woman, if you didn't tap the toilet, she's going to dirty herself. So, and it was a bit like that with me, with the stuff in 2016. It was like, well, you know, I, I probably I probably had more knowledge of Northern Ireland than, than virtually anybody in there anyway, because I'd, I'd done it for a long time. I'd been on the Northern Ireland Select Committee, so and I had really good relations in Northern Ireland with the, with the Labour movement, but also with the community, the business community, because I'd done the work for a long time. 
the Scottish thing was a bit different, but but I was I was one of the few people who was on the Scottish Affairs Committee. But I'd done a lot of work up in Scotland with um, with Yelnison for years and years, and, and with anyone to a certain extent. So I had some background. So it was like it wasn't the work didn't frighten us. It was just like you know, but it had to be done. And and, and even if like to some extent, it didn't really matter if we were crap. We weren't crap, but we could have been crap, but we were doing it to annoy these bastards that would try to sink us. You know what I mean? They were talking they were talking openly to Tory MPs saying, Will you hurry up and call a general election so we can get rid of these people? You know? They that's they, they really wanted that to happen in in the because they thought the coup the coup was going to screw us. And they did they, they just they just couldn't get their heads around it, you know, and they still still can't I mean I remember going to um, Tom Watson's party. Tom Watson, I think it was his 50th birthday, but I mean Watson got back years, you know. And um, there was people coming in and they were like looking, well, what's he doing here? Like, you know? And, and I'm thinking, oh, I remember you, you used to be somebody dead important, didn't you? And there were there were MPs who come in, you know, like um, I'm not gonna mention names because I, I still got an okay with them, but there was like, you know, these were the people who like just like turned the back on us. You know, when you when you needed the most, it's like, you know, when your back's against the wall, you didn't walk away from and, and, and they forget that like Every one of us is only there if the you know the, the sacrifices and the work that people have done for more than a century. But there's none of us, whoever good we are, whether it's Jeremy or Blair, anybody at all, none of us would have been there without what people had done before us. And you, you, you're, the, you're the office holder of that period of time, but it's not about you, you know. But 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 some of them it was about them, and it wasn't. They were careerists, and they were like you know, and and you could see that they're like. They couldn't believe that they were on the escalator to the top and somebody had turned it off. They couldn't come to grips with it, you know? But it was like, well, you know, you've chosen. You've cho I mean, again, I've got a lot of time. I think Ian Murray's a really capable lad and I've kept on pretty good terms with him. But it was like, you know, you just didn't do this sort of thing, you know? It's like, yeah, it might be crap, but particularly when you're the only one, you know? But, you know, he did. Yeah, you know, did what he did what he wanted to do, and you know, I know he's, he would argue did the right thing from from his perspective. But you know, for me, um, there's just some things in life you just know are not right. And what they did then was that absolutely. Right. And the other, you know, it was also when Jeremy got elected. There was people of real caliber who served in the government, who didn't take up jobs. I think Yvette was one of them, you know, and again, I've got a lot of time for Yvette Cope, you know, very, very capable woman, but they didn't even go on his front bench. You know, and it's like, well, hang on, eh? you know, we, we, you know, we, we'd, had, we'd had a tanking in 2015, well, we'd had a tanking in 2015, but we'd been knocked back when we thought we might be going to win. Um, so everybody, everybody's head was down. But, you know, that's that's a time when, when you want people to stand up. You know, it's like, it's just, for me, it's just what you do, it, it, you know, you, I mean, if you think about our whole history in the moment, we've always been up against almost unbeatable, you know, opposition. You know, I said before about the British Empire, the establishment the state that goes back millennium, if not centuries, and yet we had the temerity to stand up. Like, you know, and the miners are some of the first people to do it. The temerity to stand up and say we're not having it. We're going to challenge you. We're going to keep challenging. But then you get to a position where you know, at the highest level the way you can do that, and half your team walks off the pitch. You know, it's just it's just not right. You know, it's kind of be right. Well, I think personally, I think we need a lot more of the people with your attitude rather than the people who walk off the pitch. Right. So I'm going to ask you now, um, what are your plans coming up for the, for the future? Have you got any anything coming up? I've put in um, for the NAC, say the sale page at the NAC, um, mainly I want to say before the, I want to play my part in trying to see it to anybody who can listen and whether the listeners are any more there than what they did, you know, what they do now or what they did when I uh, was an MP is we need to focus on winning we need, we, we need to work out an offer to the people that we've lost and I don't mean this the way it's going to sound because people are, if you think about the offer that Thatcher made about council houses forget the moral Outraged that, that was to see it uh, an ordinary man or woman, an ordinary workman or woman. Look, here's a chance to change your life. Um, we need something of that skill 
to grab people's attention. Now, you know, I don't know, I don't know what it is, and but I mean, you know, but that's the but we need to be focused on that rather than internal debates about you know whether it's anti-Semitism or who hates who the most and who we're going to take the court and what's it going to cost and all this sort of stuff. And I'm not, I'm not even sure, Paul, if the, if the NEC is the right place to have that debate. But if the NEC, which is supposed to be the governing body of the party, if they, if they're not playing their part properly, then you can hardly expect you know, everybody else further down the line to be doing the same thing. And, and also, likewise, the PLP. You know, if the, like the PLP didn't set a good example in, in the times what we're talking about, other than, you see, like, those of us who did stand up, but, like, others. And it's hard then to say to, to, to the people who you want out there who, who win elections for you, the genuine people not on doors and stuff and envelopes and all that sort of stuff, um, you do the right thing, but I won't bother doing the right thing. So, you know... But, but I, I'm I'm pragmatic. I, I just I want us to win, because if you didn't win, you're out. You know, and we can we can be the, which we were in 2017. I was delighted with what we did in 2017, but we didn't win. So all the good plans we had, none of them got through. And I know you know you can. I mean, it's things like you nudge the government and the. And the, the they do, they do what you said, they should, like the exam thing this week, you know, we were saying last week you should do it, but yeah, that's relatively, it's not small in the scale of the people concerned, but it's not changing the world in the sense that we, that we, we did in the 40s and potentially could have done uh, since. So whether that, that's part of it, I mean, I've, I've, um, I'm, I've put in, I'm on a, um, I'm living up in Taysdale now, and I put my hat in the ring. I'm, I'm, I've actually been trying to think of the, the area action partnerships, which is about getting giving grants to small people, uh, groups of people, and so. And but I got I got appointed to that in February, and then the, the, before the first meeting, there was the lockdown, so I haven't even we haven't had a meeting yet. Um, that, so that's done a little bit, but then obviously I'm I'm very involved with the Maras, uh, friends of Jeremy Myers Gala. So I mean, obviously um, that didn't happen this year. But we need to get. The fundraising needs building up. We need, we need to get uh, back to where we, we we had some really good discussions with the unions back in the last year, where we'd hope to get like a five-year plan from the unions to support us um, in a big way. In the, the sense, the the unions been supportive, but not not in a um, not in a way that's been keep on going. It's just like oh, but, like we'll give you ten thousand pound this year, and then get no for the next two years, and it's, it's would almost be better getting two thousand pound a year for five years. It was like just a plan. We want more than that, a lot more than that. But then the other thing is the whole thing around radials, about seeing that through the, what we hope it will be, which is um, a statement for the future, built on built on the heritage of the past. And and I think that can be a real, for me, if, if we can pull that off, that'll be something that, uh, you know, that, that'll be as big as anything I've done in my life, if we can do that. And and sustain the gala for, for the foreseeable future. Uh, so, you know, but... Uh, I did, I have, because I keep getting these emails off the same base secretary about, would you like to stand for the county council? And I'm, no, because <laughs> I just didn't think I could do, I didn't think I'd put the time in that would be required, because if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it properly. You know, and I think, and particularly I'm living out there in the sticks, and just, just a simple fact of getting up and down to Durham every day and stuff like that, you know, and so, um, but I'll do, you know, wherever I can, really. You know, uh, well, I hope um, I hope the people will consider you for the for the NEC because it sounds like you've got some ideas that could really really help the party and help change things. So um, I'd just like to say on behalf of Socialist Think Tank, uh, thank you so much for for coming on tonight. It's been a real pleasure and a lot of really insightful things that you've got there. Um, so I hope if you like this video at home uh, that you like, share, and subscribe. So once more, thanks again, Dave, and uh, I'll I'll be in touch. All right, mate. Stay well. Take care. You too. We'll keep the red flag flying here.